Welcome to Women and Manufacturing, where accomplished women interview accomplished women, with your host, Linda Regano. Hi, I'm Linda Regano, co-host of Women in Manufacturing, a podcast series produced by the Manufacturing Broadcasting Corporation. Many of you may know that women comprise 51% of the U.S. population, but did you know that less than 3 out of 10 are employed in manufacturing? This is why Manufacturing Talk Radio created this Women in Manufacturing podcast, to share stories of the amazing women who are working hard to make a difference in an industry that is so critical to our economic survival. Listeners will hear candid conversations about female leaders, their rise to the top, challenges they've overcome, and what they're doing today to attract more women to the industry. We hope that you find their stories to be as inspirational as we do. And today, I am delighted to be speaking with my friend Jamie Bliss, who is definitely a rock star in the supply chain community. Jamie is global head of procurement, the Procurement Center of Excellence at GSK, which is a large multinational pharmaceutical corporation, and she's had an amazing journey along the way. Mentorship is definitely in Jamie's blood. She's been fortunate to have wise women and men in her life helping to guide her career, and she's determined to pay it forward. Today, Jamie is very active with the R. Jean Richter Scholarship Program, which she'll tell you more about later, and she's also the first one to nominate rising stars in her network for recognition similar to ISM's 30 Under 30 Rising Supply Chain Stars program, which is where I met her. I met Jamie because she had nominated several young ladies, and I believe two of them won, but we'll, we'll check that with Jamie. Um, but that's enough for me. Let's bring on Jamie Bliss. Welcome. Thank you, Linda. I'm so excited to be here with you today. Great, great. I'm, oh, look, I'm happy to have you here. And uh, you've been on my, my list ever since we started the show. You were, you were definitely on my hit list of people I wanted to have on. Um, and, I, and I bet our listeners would love to hear more about where you come from. And just if you could just share a little bit more about how you found your way into supply chain. Well, I found my way into supply chain a bit by luck and accident, to be honest. But <laughs> if I go back and if I go back in time a little bit, um, I grew up from in Iowa in quite a small town that, um, for many people in the U.S. or in the world, they would position it as the middle of nowhere. Uh, so <laughs> we we ha- we had paved roads and we had a Walmart. So I, I wouldn't exactly call us the middle of total nowhere. Um, and it was very much a small manufacturing town. So I was always surrounded by people who worked in manufacturing. And my dad worked in construction and was a, t- was a truck driver. And my mom worked in a small town women's health clinic after being a stay-at-home mom for my early years. And it, in a way, it feels like supply management has always been a bit of a destiny for me. Though, though interestingly, if I were to jump forward a little bit, uh, I didn't even know what supply chain management was when I declared it as my major in college. And maybe that's a little embarrassing. Maybe I shouldn't admit that in such a public setting. Uh, but I originally, I originally um, went to Arizona State University for my undergraduate degree with the intention of going into broadcast journalism. I wanted to be the next Katie Couric, and I thought it would just be such a a fascinating career path. And after about, um, I don't know, I guess it was only a semester in university, I realized that it wasn't for me. And there were quite a few reasons for that, but one of the key reasons I found was that it just didn't feel like I had enough control over my destiny in that career path. There's so much about that career path, as there are with many career paths, that really rely on being in the right place at the right time. And talent certainly plays a role, but you can be highly talented and not have an opportunity to showcase your talents as broadly as you would like to do, um, depending on the path that you end up setting off on. So I, in a roundabout way, I ended up changing my major to marketing. So I was in the business school and through a 
through a conversation in the registrar's office where I was a student worker. Um, another, another peer student impacted my life in a way they'll never even understand. And this, this woman who was a few years ahead of me in undergrad said to me that if she had to do it all over again, she would major in supply chain because there were a lot of career, a lot of good jobs and a lot of scholarships. And at the time, I was putting myself through school as a first-generation college student, um, fully relying on scholarships, student loans, and on-campus work, and that, that statement stood out to me. And mm. I was able to, because of the structure of my degree program, I was able to declare supply chain as a second major together with marketing. Uh, mm. Flip forward one, one short semester later, and I had so much passion for my supply chain coursework that admittedly I was actually procrastinating on my marketing homework that was due the next day and working ahead on my supply chain homework. It, and I think it was just a bit of, you know, the writing is on the wall. And shortly thereafter, I dropped my marketing major so I could focus solely on supply chain and then get a minor in quality. So absolutely, it was luck and accident, but I couldn't be happier about the way that that happy accident turned out. That's great. And I would look, I remember you telling me that your mom's best advice was always to follow your passion. So this was definitely that. Yeah, absolutely. And I guess the, the other thing my mom instilled in me very early on is to work hard and try my best. Um, I, I was quite fortunate. Uh, my mom and my parents in general were never the parents who pushed, you know, being the winner, you know, being, a, they wanted me to get all A's, for example, but they always told me they wouldn't be disappointed if I got, if I got a B or if I didn't ace a test, but they would be disappointed if they felt like I didn't try my best. And, mm. you know, admittedly, I think that really instilled in me values around effort and impact. And those are the same values that I try to instill on my children today. In fact, I, if, if my five-year-old daughter was sitting here listening, um, she would, I, I think she would actually laugh because even simple things like when she tells me that she didn't, she can't finish cleaning her room, I asked her, did you try your best? And as long as I can see that she's made her best effort but needs a little bit more help, I'm happy to help her along the way. <laughs> she's one lucky girl. <laughs> so, so then how did that leave? What what happened after college? Ah, yeah. So so that's a bit of a journey of a story as well. Uh if I if I can take a little bit of a step back before I left college in my junior year, I was very fortunate to receive the R. Jean Richter Scholarship, which mm -hmm. is a global, uh, a, a national scholarship now in its, oh gosh, 15th year. And every year they identify a, a number of undergraduate students that through a rigorous application and interview process, they believe will be future leaders in the supply chain management profession. And I was one of six selected for the very first inaugural year of the R.J. Wow. Richter Scholarship Program. And, and Linda, that made such a huge impact on my career. That, and, and you mentioned mentoring in the introduction, and I, I think we'll circle back to that soon. It, it really set off the understanding of the importance of mentoring for me. But if I, if I keep going down this storyline, so I received the scholarship where I was able to attend a conference. And in this one instance, it was a dedicated conference for the kickoff and introduction of this scholarship program. And at this conference, I met chief procurement officers and heads of supply chain across all different industries and was able to really network and build relationships. One of the relationships I built there 
was with the supply management leadership team from Hewlett Packard. And in fact, we were matched with formal mentors and my mentor that I was matched with as a part of that program was the head of supply chain at HP. He introduced me to some of his colleagues, including the woman who ran the rotational development program. And that was what, what ended up leading me to work. The, the introduction led me to interview with and then eventually accept an offer from HP to begin their rotational development program. And I was able to get a wide variety of experiences there before being recruited away, um, again, through this mentoring network and through some introductions of friends of friends through, through the mentoring relationships, I ended up from there going on to work in the food industry and worked at ConAgra Foods in Nebraska for a number of years where I was able to get a very wide variety of experiences. And, and this is probably what, what helped me learn and understand how much I loved manufacturing. I've always been a process person. Uh, but when I got into ConAgra, I really felt much more of a passion for the work I was doing. HP was an excellent company, but the challenge I saw early on is that at that point in my life, I didn't understand technology. And, you know, if, if I'm being honest, I probably don't mm. understand it as well as many, many people out there today. Uh, but I, I couldn't, it didn't resonate with me in the way that food did. I mean, I, I could understand food. I could see it. I could feel it. I could smell it touch it, I could smell it, I could eat it, right? And right. I knew what it, was, what it was like to see the end product, and I knew how it impacted our consumers. And I really enjoyed the opportunities that I had to spend a lot of time in our manufacturing sites as well as our, as our supplier manufacturing sites while I was working at ConAgra. In fact, for a period of time, I did a role where I traveled about 50% of the time, and every day or every week I was visiting a different supplier or a different, different internal manufacturing facility learning how to identify and take costs out of the end-to-end -end supply chain. So moving beyond simply negotiating with suppliers and really looking at the cost and the flow, mm. the flow of activity and how it embeds costs in the supply chain. And I, I found a real passion for doing that because the negotiation, for example, frankly speaking, oftentimes just moves cost around from one party to another. But collaboration and collaborative cost reduction is a, is a situation where both parties can win. And I, I saw so much opportunity to do that. And I really felt like you have to be out and physically touch and see and feel how things are being done in order to truly understand and to identify ways to reduce costs and to build a better supply chain together. Um, and that really fueled me when I, when I was looking to make a change for career development reasons, I knew pretty much from the start that I wanted to stay in an industry that had a manufacturing element. Um, there are great opportunities in services industries, and, and people build fantastic and, and, and rich careers in services industries. So this is no disrespect to those areas. But for me, I felt like if I was in an area where I didn't get to at least be related to manufacturing, I felt like I would, I would be missing something in the spend that I was looking after, the, the projects that I would get to work on, and the, the way I could influence a supply chain, if you will. If you will. Yeah. Well, with what great experience. So then, so then, how did you then from there you moved into pharmaceuticals? Yeah. So you know, it's there's there's a commonality here, Linda. Every time I've moved companies, it's been because of a networking and mentoring relationship that existed. Mm. So I I didn't go deep on this, but when I moved moved to ConAgra Foods. It was because someone who I'd met at that same conference where I had met the HP colleagues 
had remembered me. I stayed in touch with her. She was the chief procurement officer of a very large tech company. And one, when one of her direct reports left to be the CPO of ConAgra Foods and was looking to fill some critical positions, she recommended that, that I was someone he should reach out to. So then when it was time for me to look at opportunities outside of ConAgra, and I started thinking about pharma, I was actually in the process of interviewing with with two major pharmaceutical companies. I won't disclose uh, where the other one was, but in both cases, I had a, a networking and mentoring relationship with a colleague there. And with Teva specifically, uh, when I was at the Institute for Supply Management Conference in 2013, I approached a woman who is now my boss, Lisa Martin, and shared with her that I was interested in changing industries. And I was coming to her for advice because she had worked in pharmaceuticals for quite a long time. And I wanted to make sure that I was positioning myself well on my resume and in interviews to demonstrate how my food industry experience could translate into another industry, specifically pharmaceuticals. Um, and of course, in the discussion, she asked me why I, you know, would I come and be interested in coming to Teva Pharmaceuticals, where she worked then. Uh, and I, <laughs> we laugh a lot about this now. She had tried to hire me at a prior company where she worked. And I, at that time, she was based in New York City. And at that point in my life, I... I wasn't interested in making a move. I was happy with where I was. And uh, I specifically had an interest not to move into the center of a major metropolitan like New York City, where she was based at the time. So when I, when I thanked her and said, you know, thank you so much for you know, being interested in me, but, you know, I, I have some, some minimal boundaries on location and I don't think that would work. And she said, oh, no, no, I work in New Jersey now. And uh, naively, so I'd never been to New Jersey, so I had, <laughs> I had zero... I had zero rebuttal for that. So, you know, at that point, what do you say? So, of course, I said, you know, sure, I'd be happy to have a conversation about it. Well, the next day when I bumped into her, she said, okay, my, my, my assistant will be calling you. We'd like to have you come out next week. So, at that point, <laughs> so you went um, so from Nebraska to New Jersey. Yeah, yeah, actually, actually yes. Yeah. At that point, the ball was rolling. And I flew out to New Jersey, spent 24 hours here for a job interview, and a few weeks later, my husband and I were beginning to pack up our house and move ourselves and what was then one child halfway across the country to a state that I'd only spent 24 hours in and he'd never been to. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> and and, and ha what was his reaction through this whole thing? You know, it, he was very flexible. And, and this is something that, you know, everybody's personal situation is different, and there's no specific mathematical equation that defines career success. But certainly one of the absolute musts is surrounding yourself with people who will always be your supporters and your champions and your advocates. And um, I've had no greater supporter in my life than my husband, and I've been fortunate that as, as a part of something we decided together, he is now a stay-at-home dad. And that has allowed me a flexibility within my career, whether it's, you know, on some, some nights that, I, that happen here and there where I absolutely have to buckle down and there's something that has to get done for work, he gives me the flexibility to be able to do that. And then when it comes to things like physical moving geographies or traveling as, it, as it's required for my job, having him being a stay-at-home dad creates a lot of flexibility. Um, now, I don't want to imply that you have to have a stay-at-home parent for somebody to have a successful career. There's lots of ways to build support into your life, but I think having support 
and having the people around you support your aspirations and helping you create a structure that allows you to achieve those aspirations makes all the difference in the world. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so from there, then, you were still working with Lisa, right? You, you, she, you, she had stayed yeah. in the mentor role with you. Yeah. Yeah. So, so when I start, yeah, when I, uh, when I started at Teva Pharmaceuticals, I wasn't reporting directly to Lisa, but I was working as in a key role very closely together with her. And over time, uh, as I demonstrated my capabilities and as, as I came up the learning curve and as I was ready, I was able to take on increasing responsibilities over time. And three in three and a half years that I was at Teva, we were able to make uh, what I felt like was a really big impact on procurement at Teva and on the Teva business overall. We created a global procurement function where one did not exist before, and wow. we really built a culture and a uh, a capability in the organization that that's still very much sustained today. Uh, there, I, I would like to say that it was one of the most uh, desired departments to work in in the company, though perhaps I'm biased and I have, I have no quantitative data to back it up. Uh, <laughs> but I can certainly feel the way that, that my colleagues around me felt and the, uh, the desire to be a part of continuously improving our function and demonstrating our capabilities and our impact to the business. And after I had been at Teva for three and a half years, um, Lisa received a, a fantastic offer to, uh, again, drive a big transformation at GlaxoSmithKline. And there, the, the challenge is that there were multiple procurement organizations being brought into a single global procurement organization. Um, so, so Lisa left Teva for GSK, and um, what was really only a, a few short weeks later, um, I ended up at GSK myself as well. So. Um, for me, it's been a big, op big opportunity to have a chance to work with people that I really enjoy, Lisa being one of them, and to be a part of driving change in now a second pharmaceutical organization. Uh, but it also, I think it speaks to things like having chemistry with people you work with. When you work well together, when you can be efficient, when you know you get results by working together in a team, it can make a really big difference. And, and also having somebody as a coach and a mentor that is you know, sees, sees the value contribution I can make, but also is willing to invest in me and help develop me along my career development journey by giving me new challenges and coaching me along the way. That, that's made a big difference, and it's something that, you know, I, I certainly see and feel every day and that I also feel fortunate to be able to give back to others in my life and, be, and act as a mentor for others in the supply management profession as well. Mm. And you, and you also talked about the the bigger picture. I think that uh, you feel you feel good about being part of an organization that wants to, you know, impact world health. Yeah, yeah. So GSK has been a, a really fantastic company. I've been there for four months now, and the the culture is so positive. Uh, there's so much positivity about you know both internally. There's a lot of investment and energy around inclusion and diversity within our organization, which is a topic that I'm quite passionate about. And it's, it's been very nice to be a part of an organization that invests a lot of time and effort in that space. And our overall aspiration is to improve health for people worldwide. And it, you know, coming back, it, while it sounds like a silly linkage, it links it quite a bit for me to the story I told earlier where I felt like working at ConAgra Foods, things could resonate with me because I understood food, I understood the impact it had on our consumers. 
And I feel quite similarly about pharmaceuticals. I understand. I, I, I am by no means a scientist, and I certainly can't claim to understand how a, a, a pharmaceutical component is formulated in a lab, but I understand the impact that we can have on, on people and on health. And for me, that's really important. You know, it, it just comes back to the idea that having something you can be passionate about, and it, I don't want to say having a cause per se because it's not about a cause, but just doing work that, you know, beyond the day-to-day work that you do and the tasks that you pick up when you come into work, doing work that you believe the end outcome supports something that you can feel good about or something that resonates with you or something you understand, I think for me has been such an important aspect to have. That's great. No, it really doesn't get better than that. It's um, it's wonderful. And, and so let's talk a little bit about mentorship. I mean, I, I know it's you know it's it's definitely in your DNA. And what I was hoping is you know we hear so much about mentors, um, but I, I think that it really deserves a true definition from you because it's not just a one way street. Could you talk a little bit more about that? Oh yeah, of course. You know, it, um, I get into a lot of situations where people ask me. What does being a mentor mean? How do I find a mentor? And in particular, the question, questions like how do I find a mentor are a bit tricky because mentoring relationships are at their core relationships. Mm. And not every relationship can be formulated or matched. I mean, don't get me wrong. Many people have found great success out of matched mentoring as people have found great success success out of matched dating online, right? So it's it's not that it, it can't be formulated or can't be targeted, but the best mentoring relationships I've had, both as a mentor and as a mentee, have really developed out of true relationships. And, you know, if you asked me who, who are my mentors or how many mentors do I have, I wouldn't be able to answer that, Linda, because if I really think about it, the number of people who have helped me along the way, who have given me advice, who have given me guidance, guidance who have championed for me, who have been my advocate, you know, in, while I'm in the room or when I'm not in the room, I, those are so numerous. And I've been, mm-hmm. I've been so fortunate in that fact. But a lot of it really comes back to building relationships. And one of the key things I've found is that when you go into, when you're looking for a mentoring relationship or you identify somebody that you would like to develop a mentoring relationship with, if at all possible, you should think about how to make it a two-way relationship in fact, many of my mentors or the people that I have helped to mentor have become friends of mine. And that's because there's some chemistry there. And I think it takes some level of chemistry to want to continue relationships in an ongoing fashion. Um, and you can look for mentors and identify mentors who help you in, you know, a very narrow defined window. Like a, you're looking for a mentor to help coach you through a specific career transition or to give you guidance on a specific area that, you know, it's a a one-off encounter. But the best relationships are ones where I've just continued the dialogue, have kept in touch, and keeping in touch isn't always easy. You know, technology makes it easier, but time time makes it harder. And sometimes it's just as simple as thinking about the people who have touched you and spending, earmarking 10 minutes a day to send a quick note to somebody you're thinking about or making sure, and and maybe this will sound a bit cheesy or outdated, but taking time to send Christmas cards. Sometimes I'll realize, you know, I haven't been able to actually connect with somebody who's important in my life throughout the course of a year. 
And I just make sure that every time, every year I sit down and spend some time. And admittedly, as I've had children, I'm not as good at this as I used to be. If you get an e-card from me, please don't be offended. That's about what I get, what I get to. (laughs) Just take, taking the time to do something like a a handwritten card or even just an email, touching base with the people that you want to maintain a relationship with and that you want to be connected with as a mentor, mentee, even if it's not right now. Uh, because it, the other piece of it is it gets awkward. And I, I've talked to somebody recently about, oh, I, I had this mentor, but I haven't talked to them for a few years and I feel like I can't reach out. And that's, it's been there. It, when you have to reach out to somebody that, that you neglected to stay in touch with over a few year period, I, I get nervous. I get to thinking like, you know, will they, will they take my call? Will they have the time for me? Will they be, you know, put off that I haven't stayed in touch? And rather than spending all that time worrying about what it would be like to have to reconnect with somebody, finding ways to stay connected and maintain those relationships, I think is is a worthwhile investment. Mm, absolutely. That's great advice. So t- so tell me, what are the, when you, just back to supply chain then, and, and mentorship, but what, do you, what are the biggest issues you see us facing, women facing in supply chain? So I think there's a few things, I, and I don't have the statistic at hand, but I've seen some very specific studies and evidence that say women hold themselves back when they don't see themselves as 100% match for an opportunity. So if, mm-hmm. if a job posting goes up and, and the, an average man sees it, he'll say, yeah, I think I could do that job. I may not meet all the qualifications listed on the job description, but I think I could do that. I'm going to apply a woman will see that same job and say, gosh, I, I don't have the qualifications they're looking for. I'm not sure I could be successful. And she'll hold herself back. And I, I don't know, you know what the underlying driver for that is, whether it's, it's in our DNA, it's in our culture. But I absolutely think that that's something that we need to be focused on and pushing ourselves on and, and really realizing that we are worthy, that we are capable And, you know, certainly don't, you know, shoot for something that is a bit, you know, insanely out of reach, but push yourself and stretch yourself and, and really believe. And again, you know, surrounding yourself with people who can be your advocates and who can be your supporters and who can help you. If you do get into a situation where you've stepped into a role that um, you need, you need to move up a learning curve in order to be successful in. I think mm-hmm. beyond that as well, I think women aren't as aggressive as identifying people to ask for advice from, to uh, to be a mentor from. And I, I feel this pull myself a bit. I feel like if I'm going to ask for a favor, I have to have something I can give in return. And, mm-hmm. you know, in, in many cases, I don't necessarily need to. If, if you've developed relationships and, and if you're willing to give in return over over time, not necessarily tomorrow, then absolutely you can you can ask for a favor. And uh, at the end of the day, we, we all have something to give to each other. So, you know, when I was younger, I thought, gosh, that, you know, that chief procurement officer won't, you know, doesn't have, have the time for me, won't make the time for me. Um, I'll be embarrassed to ask for their advice. And what if I sound silly? And what I found is that once I kind of pushed myself past that, more often than not, they would tap into me and want to know, hey, how do I connect with the young people in my organization? Hey, what are you seeing? You know, what even really specific things like, hey, when you just went through the campus recruiting cycle, what are you seeing, you know, young people are making when they're coming out of college? So it's whether it's you know, theoretical ideas and advice or very specific experiences, we all can, can gain from learning from each other. And I 
think that that's an important piece for people to understand. And, and I, I can't put my finger on why, but it feels like women hold themselves back from, from that piece as well. You're so right. You're so right. And it's just, you know, maybe it's an insecurity. Who knows what it is? But, but hearing, you know, your story I think really helps and it helps resonate because uh, it gives people hope that they can do that. And if they do just push the envelope a little bit, they'll be surprised. Um, Absolutely. So, me, so, so who are the female leaders out there that you admire? Uh, you know, I, I thought a little bit about this, Linda, and maybe this will sound crazy, but my daughter. Okay. And the reason why I admire my daughter so much, so my daughter is five, mm-hmm. and uh, sure, like all five-year-olds, she can be a little bit grumpy sometimes, but she has such a positive outlook on people and relationships, and she sees the value in meeting new people. And when we talk about going somewhere, um, so for example, she's moving on from preschool to kindergarten. Uh, we just had her preschool graduation yesterday, which was adorable. Mm. And, you know, I'm thinking, you know, oh, she's going to be nervous. She's going to a bigger school next year. And I was talking to her about this last night. And I said, you know, what, what is she thinking about, about going to this bigger school? And she told me she's so excited to make more friends. She's so excited Mm -hmm. to meet more people. And, you know, if we could all be as optimistic and look forward to building new relationships and, and not think about the the tedious time that you have to invest or be worried that we won't meet somebody at a networking event that we connect with, or that, you know, we'll, we'll be left out on our own when people start to click up in small group conversations. She's just so optimistic and open-minded and always looking at the bright side and innocent. Yeah. And, and also so, so friendly and open. And I'll, I'll never forget when she, when she was even younger in um, early days of preschool, I think she was three, somebody, a new kid came in and started crying and she actually went over and and put her hand on his shoulder and said, don't worry, I'll be your friend. And gosh, if we, if we all only took that attitude every day when we woke up and every day when we walked into work, I mean, collaboration and relationships is where real real stuff gets done. And right, if we were also right. open to letting new people in and seeking new people out, imagine what we could do. Yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. Definitely. I think we have to get our daughters together. <laughs> <laughs> so at the end of the day, what do, you, what do you want to be remembered for? What's important? I suppose, of course, I want to make an impact on our profession. And if, if I had to drill into what that really means to me, it would be advocating for others and helping upskill the capability across the board for what procurement can deliver to the business and what procurement can deliver um, more broadly to the economies that we operate within. But it all comes back to people, doesn't it, Linda? I mean, yeah, this, the only way we can do this is by identifying capable people and helping them to develop and challenging them to move beyond the status quo and helping them to see their capabilities and and pushing them to think beyond what's beyond what they believe is possible and think about that ideal end state and think about all the reasons how to get there, not the reasons why we might not be able to get there. Uh, so for me, it would be about being an, an advocate of people and you know, I hopefully being a leader who's helped develop other leaders in the profession. So to that point, what's the best advice that you've ever gotten? Ah, so for me personally, and this is advice that I replicate, so I want to I wanna thank Shelley Stewart, the, the current um, CPO of Dow DuPont for this. He and I were on a panel last year at an Institute for Supply Management conference, and he talked mm-hmm. about an analogy of an elevator. And if you aspire to get to the top floor, or maybe not even the top floor, but a floor above where you are, 
and you want to take the elevator to the top to the top floor, you don't just want to take the elevator straight up. You want to think about what are the, all the stopping points along the way and what are the tools you need to collect in your toolbox so that when you get to that top floor, whatever that top floor means to you, you're prepared and ready to operate at that level. And I think that's such, a, such good advice for, for me personally and professionally and also for many of the people that I have mentoring relationships with. You know, it, it feels like we're all in such a hurry to achieve, achieve, achieve. When in reality, the more time we spend building our skills, the better off we're going to be and the bigger contributions we can make for ourselves, for our families, and for our profession in the long run. That's wonderful. That's that's a really – I love that analogy. I'm going to steal that. <laughs> so so we're coming – unfortunately, we're coming to the close, but I have one more question for you, which is any last thoughts or advice for our female listeners out there or male? It doesn't have to be just female. Yeah, I think this advice is universal. Don't hold yourself back. Set your aspirations and and define the ways you can get there. And and to be clear, remember that careers are a jungle gym, not a ladder. So Mm. that doesn't necessarily mean a straight line to get. Absolutely surround yourself with people who can be advocates for you and people who will support you, whether it's your family, a spouse, your friends, your peers, your boss. It, because none of us accomplish what we accomplish in life on our own. And it is mm. all about the relationships you build and what you give and what you take from those relationships. Wonderful. Wonderful. Thank you. That is excellent advice. And um, unfortunately, we're closing in on the end here, but I want to thank you. Um, thank you, Jamie, for joining us and sharing your experience, strength, and hope for uh, not just not just this generation, but the next generation. Um, listeners can hear the full podcast at www.mfgtalkradio.com. I'll say that again, www.mfgtalkradio.com. And thank you to all of our listeners. We look forward to seeing you on our next program. Jamie, thank you. Thank you, Linda. Thank you for listening to Women and Manufacturing. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.